scenes like this in London this weekend. Michael Jackson will be flying in to do the opening performance at the 1996 Brit Awards. Michael will be performing his number one song, Earth Song, as he did on German TV in November last year. This time, though, the organisers of the Brit Awards say that the staging and choreography will be unique to this one-off event. And the real drama of the evening was provided by Michael Jackson's spectacular and rare TV appearance. Something Jarvis Cocker really got excited about. But first, pulp singer Jarvis Cocker was arrested at last night's Brit Awards in London. Jarvis jumped onto the stage as Michael Jackson was performing his number one hit single, Earth Song. You can see Jarvis in the circle here. Jackson says he's sickened, saddened, shocked, cheated and angry. And he's accusing Jarvis of actually attacking the young children who appeared with Jackson on stage. Pulp's record label claimed this footage proves that Jarvis is innocent of any kind of attack. In fact, Jarvis said his actions were a form of protest at the way Michael Jackson sees himself as some Christ-like figure with the power of healing. I was just sat there, you know, and watching it and feeling a bit ill because he's there doing his Jesus acts. And um, they arrested me and said, oh, you know, you ran onto, us, onto that stage and, and assaulted some kids. I, I couldn't really believe that they were saying that at first. Um, but then, you know, they carted me off to the police station. So. Pandemonium, bandemonium and even media demonium broke out as Cocker arrived for the verdict. During police questioning, he'd maintained, and the video bore him out, that he didn't touch a child. The police agreed. Jarvis Cocker has fully cooperated with the police, who've considered the complaints that have been made by the children, and have come to the decision that no action of any nature whatsoever should be taken against him. At a packed news conference within the last hour, Jarvis Cocker expressed his relief that charges were not being pursued. It's not very nice uh, to have allegations of you know, that you would go and assault children, go and punch children or whatever. Uh, I know that not everybody believes what they read in newspapers, but some people do, and it's not very nice to think that as you're going about your daily business, people think you're the kind of person who'd jump on a stage and hit children. And for the so-called man of the people, relief that his name has been cleared. It's not exactly something you put on your CV, is it? <laughs> Child warrior. But would he do it again? Uh, probably not, given what's happened since then. No. And Michael Jackson? I wish him well, you know, I hope he sorts his problems out. What about sunrise? What about rain? What about all the things that you said we were to gain? What about killing fields? Is there a time? What about all the things that you said was yours and mine? Did you ever stop to notice all the blood we've shed before? Did you ever stop to notice this crying earth that's weeping? So, before we get to a clockwork orange, uh, I'd love to hear about your involvement with Michael Jackson. I'm sure all of our listeners uh, will. Um, I believe you were on stage at the famous Brits performance of Earth Song. Uh, this was at the time that the frontman of the band Pulp, Jarvis Cocker, invaded the stage to, uh, in protest to Michael Jackson's godlike persona, if you will, uh, that he was portraying during that performance. Can, can you tell us how that came about? And what was that experience like for you? It, 
it should have been the most wonderful experience because I'd always wanted to be in a big Hollywood musical and we had a Hollywood musical director for it and the rehearsals all went very well. It was very exciting. Eventually, Michael Jackson came along and told us how wonderful we all were and there were 24 children and 16 adults, I think, in the show. So we all budded the children and mm. to help look after them. Yeah, and yeah. then when it, it, the, when it came to the performance, and we'd had a lovely dress rehearsal, everything had gone very well, um, this wretched man, Jarvis Cocker, <laughs> uh, came busting on stage. Now, that week we had had the IRA sending bombs in London. Mm, mm. had very high security, yeah. very high guards outside, and I didn't know Jarvis Cocker from Adam, and I thought right. someone was coming on to shoot Michael. Oh, for heaven's sake. And it was really, really scary, and the man mm. was so irresponsible. And what mm. was even more infuriating was that afterwards the press thought it was great because it was a great story. Yeah, and, right, right. Uh, they, they tended to be on his side, whereas oh. he, in fact, he said he'd done it because of... Uh, Michael Jackson being a sort of Christ-like figure in mm. the way this thing was. But, it, damn it, it was a fictional thing. It was a song. And yeah. he yeah. was lovely. Everybody was great. The whole crew were great. And what had happened was uh, Jarvis Cocker hadn't got an award at all that year. <laughs> and he was pulled in to do some introducing or something. And he said to one of the girls, this is what I've heard, he said mm. to one of the makeup girls, I'm going to pull a stunt. And oh, with gosh. no consideration at all for anyone else. Uh, of course, the maddening thing was we didn't get asked to the party afterwards. They sent us all home to try and stop us talking to the press. And stuff. Right, right. Oh, my gosh. So it rather wow. spoiled the evening for us, although it made it very famous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, right. It's It's great that you can laugh about it. I mean... You know, they say uh, uh, today's embarrassment makes for tomorrow's great story. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. It, it is. And, you know, it's as an artist, I always want to respect um, uh, 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 statements. Other people's work. Yeah. Yeah. But it just sounds that's what like I felt. wrong, very wrong place in time to make mm -hmm. uh, a kind of a, a guerrilla art statement, if you will, with the. Uh, invading of the stage i mean pulp were very big at the time and i'm not surprised the media had kind of sided with him yeah it's such a shame for all those kids who'd worked so hard yeah yeah that's, i mean they that's came in after thinking. school every day for days and uh it must have been so upsetting for them but you know i i, I have to you know, put it in a positive light and say again that it's it's really great that you can look back and laugh about it um, I guess, you know, as long as no one was, was really, you know, physically harmed, it's, that's just, uh, you know, an amazing story. And to have your very unique perspective on it. Um, thank you. It's been my chance to talk about it. <laughs> Can I ask, uh, uh, Tony, uh, were you at, uh, at that performance? No, I was at home. I knew you... nothing about it till she came back steaming mad. <laughs> We um, lived a long way away. We lived, lived a long way away, and uh, we had a dog. And um, frankly, I wasn't invited. <laughs> uh, wow. 
Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And please don't call me Shirley. Ah! I love it. <laughs> so many answers we may never know. Too many questions get on the show. It's Kubrick's Universe, the Stanley Kubrick Podcast. Hey friends and fellow Kubrick fans, welcome to a new installment of Kubrick's Universe. Shirley Jaffe is a British actress who trained at the Central School of Speech and Drama in 1954. Among her other early jobs, she was in the first British Theatre in the Round Company at Scarborough with Stephen Joseph and later Alan Akeborn. Her film career began in the mid-1950s with crime dramas The Passing Stranger in 1954 and The Secret Tent in 1956. Shirley was a regular cast member of the long-running TV serial Emergency Ward 10 as Nurse Angela Foster in the late 60s, and in 1970, she appeared in Hammer's Taste the Blood of Dracula with the late great Christopher Lee. She appeared on television in the infamous Michael Jackson's Earth Song live performance at the Brits in 1996, which you just heard her speak about, and as a Greek nun in Little Britain Abroad. She's directed and acted in plays in Brighton, Edinburgh, the West End, and Helsinki festivals, and recently played Irene in the award-winning British feature Ambleton Delight. She was nominated for a Star Award in the Brighton Fringe for her performance as Nana in the musical Here Comes the Bride. More recently, she appeared with her husband Tony in the music video to Spankox's To the Club. Tony Jaffe, 83 at the time, said, Looking at the gorgeous bottom of an almost naked fire eater nearly gave me a heart attack. I've been dreaming about her at night. Parts of my body I had forgotten about seemed to come alive, and I was doing things I thought I could never do again. Shirley, for her part, said, My husband hasn't been up for it for so long, I had no idea he could still do it. This is Kubrick's universe, and so, in 1971, Shirley made an appearance in Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. She played a nurse who helps administer the first round of Ludovico treatment to Alex DeLarge, of course, played inimitably by Malcolm McDowell. Skybreak, the home she shared with her husband Tony, was also featured in the film as the interior location for the scene in which Alex and his droogs attack a writer and his wife, played by Patrick McGee and Adrienne Corey. 
Her latest film is called Nurse Shirley Foster. So, Shirley and Tony Jaffe, thanks for being with us and welcome to Kubrick's Universe. So, okay, I must segue into uh, questions about Clockwork Orange. And I would love to know how you first came about uh, becoming involved with uh, the film. Actually, it was our house that first got us involved. Um, we were living in a next village called Elstree, which is where the film studios are. Mm, of course. And um, we bought a plot of land about uh, 10 kilometers up the road. And um, then we thought we ought to build a house on it. Mm. And uh, Shirley had a friend whose brother was an architect. So we said, will you, will you build us a house? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm terribly busy. I would love to. But uh, I've, got, I've got some young friends who just qualified. They're very good. Um, mm. And uh, how about them? And I, he said, fine. So these uh, two guys turned up with their wives. And they looked over the plot and they said, so what sort of house do you want? And uh, give us sort of vague instructions, a number of bedrooms, a lot. And uh, they went away and said, we'll, we'll be back in a few weeks. And they came back mm -hmm. in a few weeks with a balsa wood model about a meter long and half a meter wide. Wow. And I looked at it. And uh, at that time, uh, I had been... Um, the uh, on the planning committee of our local council and i said you'll never get that through planning hmm. and it took hmm. six months to get through planning and the architects happened to be um one norman foster and the other mm -hmm. one was richard rogers okay uh, tell, tell us tell our listeners a bit about now them lord, now lord foster ah uh, yeah and uh, and lord rogers and they wow. have done things like the uh, Pompidou Center, Hong Kong Airport. Um, they're two of the leading architects in the world, and they were joint with their wives. They were the team of four. That was their wow. first commercial project. Oh, my goodness. That's and, wow. And so when it was built, um, it was featured in an architectural magazine. Mm -hmm. And... The magazine was seen by uh, Kubrick's uh, art director, mm -hmm. and um, they rang up and said, uh, we'd be interested in using your house uh, for the film. Right. And then they said, following it on, um, can Mr. Kubrick come along and see it? So we said yes, and uh, I was alone in the house on a nice spring day mm -hmm. and um, doorbell rang went up and he said i'm standing kubrick and my guys oh my aren't goodness. here yet can i come in <laughs> i said sure come in we sat down and uh, so I, I thought what the hell do i say to stand do i say oh 2001 great 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 film or or strange love wonderful what do i say to okay, him? All right. and he looked at me and he said right. uh, you've got a television in the house and I said, yeah, why? He said, well, uh, can we see it? I said, why? He said, there's a great game of rugby on England against Wales. And the two oh, of us are goodness. standing in front of this rugby game saying, hi, come on, kill him, got him. And they're standing. 
that was my fir my first meeting before Shirley had met him. And that's how he got the house and wanted the house for the film. That's incredible. Wow. Okay, well, I believe the listeners have been uh, kept in suspense long enough. Uh, you are, of course, referring to uh, the iconic house in a clockwork orange uh, with uh, the writer and his wife and um, the That's extremely right. powerful scenes that take place there. This is uh, none other than the Radlett house, um, which I believe is also known as Skybreak. Um, this was the house that was used as the interiors of the writer's home and was the real home of Shirley and Tony at the uh, time before uh, Clockwork Orange even began shooting. Um, so there's a fascinating bit of uh, crossover trivia, of course, because Shirley ended up uh, having a part in the film. So I want to ask... Uh, uh, since uh, you brought up the house, uh, how long, do you recall how long uh, they were filming uh, in Radlett House? They originally booked it for, I think, two weeks. And after okay. two weeks, they asked for an extension because we weren't allowed to stay in the house. We were moved out with the family huh. to a very, very palatial hotel. Uh, uh, nice. Funded by obviously by by the by Kubrick, mm -hmm. and uh, we even our dog. We had an old lovely dog, and Aww. we said we can't move this dog into kennels. So there was yeah. a guard appointed to look after the dog, and a sign saying "Do not feed ancient Labrador," which everybody ignored. <laughs> <laughs> because we we also I should that say was, that that was actually on the call sheets. Yeah, because we had wow. a very large garden. And they built a tented village with everything from hairdressing, toilets, showers, restaurant. Wow. And uh, so the question being, how long did it run? Well, originally a fortnight, but it finished up. Two and a half months. Two and a half months. And then we had to move back out while they decorated the house. Yeah. Again. Wow. <laughs> that's it. That's so from two weeks to two and a half months. Our children lived on smoked salmon and chips for supper every <laughs> night. I I can't see a problem with that myself. I'm a big fan of both of those things. <laughs> um, wow, that and and so cool to hear uh, your personal tale of of Stanley, not just putting you up in uh, some posh digs, so to speak, but uh, to accommodate your old Labrador and, and have that, uh, uh, signage, of course, you know, uh, people were going to ignore that, but you know, many Stanley's, uh, enthusiasts know that, uh, he was very much an animal person, an animal lover. So, um, I think it's really cool that he would bend over backwards to, uh, accommodate your pup. I have a particularly soft spot in my heart for, old dogs with gray faces, but that's for another topic. I'm sure you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, were there any times that you visited, uh, you know, your home while it was the set of a film? Yeah, we were given permission to go anytime we liked. Um, the only time that they had a closed set was when they were doing the rape scene mm -hmm. because 
um, the, 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 the actress, Adrian Corrie, uh, was obviously stripped off and mm-hmm. no one was allowed on the set. But right, apart from right. that, we and our neighbours used to go and watch the filming. And oh. because we, because my children were at school, I had to come in and and the dog was there. I used to come in every day, walk the dog, talk to the dog, even before they got in. And once they got in, of course, I wanted to come in and talk to people because I'd already done my little bit uh, before they ever moved into the house. Incidentally, talking about that, Adrian Corrie, the uh, Shirley just mentioned, I was in the house one day and she came up to me and she said, um, I love your dog. And I said, yeah, he's a beautiful old. She said, I hate bloody dogs. I love your dog. And I said, why? Oh, she wow. Said, he, he gets me more work. And I said, what do you mean more work? She said, well, <laughs> when I'm getting to the last take and that's it and I've got nothing further to do, your dog manages to bark in the middle of my last take and I get another <laughs> day's work out of it. And if you know the film, if you listen carefully, we know that there's one scene uh, where you hear a little, oh, very lightly, which was the dog. And Kubrick said, I can't care less. Nobody else will know it. So my dog hasn't got a credit, but it oh has a little God. bark in the film. He's got a bigger oh part than me. He speaks. Uh, I was also there. Wonderful. One the day that there's there's a scene where at the end of the film where uh, he comes back into the house and he's fed spaghetti bolognese and red wine. Alex. Alex is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good evening, sir. Good evening. It was very kind of you, sir, to leave this out for me. There was no one around when I finished my bath, so I started. Hope that's all right, sir. Of course. Food, all right. Great, sir. Great. Try the wine. Thank you, sir. Cheers. Happy days. And I was there for that scene, and in our kitchen, they were boiling a huge tub of spaghetti sauce. And the um, the red wine was Ribena, which is, uh, I don't know, in the States you've got Ribena. It's a um, yes, yes, blackcurrant black drink. And he was, I think it was something like 12 takes. He had to have a fresh bowl of spaghetti and a fresh glass of Ribena from this <laughs> thing. And at the end of the 12th take, he went into the toilet and he was violently sick. Oh, my God. Yeah, I I can imagine I mean, there's only so much Ribena and uh, pasta bolognese you can put down your gullet, right? Uh, without, without, yeah, getting nauseous. Do you still feel suicidal? Uh, well, put it this way. I feel very low in myself. I can't see much in the future. And I feel that any second something terrible is going to happen to me. 
I want to ask about Alex's first visit to Radlett's house when he knocks down the bookshelf. Um, we can only assume this was not your actual bookshelf, but uh, rather uh, part of the set which Stanley put in. Is that yes. correct? Okay. Correct. Yeah. Um, were there uh, bits of your own furniture, fixtures, and fittings that are seen in the film? When when he when he pulled down the um, the bookshelves, uh, we didn't know this until we saw the film. And behind it, there was um, it was like a wall with a, a cupboard underneath it with a mm. blackboard door. It was in the kids' playroom, or the, oh. as we used it. Mm -hmm. And when they pulled down the bookshelves, you could see the kids scribble on the... <laughs> and it's still on the film. And of course, it's still on the film. <laughs> this is awesome. With a They use mostly furniture that they put in. There's a big painting um, in the living room in that uh, scene. And mm -hmm. if you look at that, that was painted by Mrs. Kubrick, I understand. Oh, yeah. That, Stephen, chime in. Do you know about that? Was that Christiana's painting? Yes, it was. Yeah, the really big one to the right-hand side of the screen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So many fascinating little uh, bits. Right in the, the 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 subtlety and the details, all of his films uh, have those layers upon layers of rich visual information, and uh, yeah, I believe he used Christiana's paintings in uh, in in other films as well. And certainly in in Eyes Wide Shut. Is that correct, Stephen? That is correct. Can Please. I throw something in which I saw, which I think made a huge influence on me? And I remember I'm just a husband visiting my house. I came in uh, watching filming one day and there was a large number of people making a lot of row and I was looking around and if you look at the windows at the back of the house, they're at an angle. Mm -hmm. they're, not, they're not straight. They're, they're Correct, yes. And I looked down and on his haunches was Stanley Kubrick with his hands sort of cupped over his eyes and he was obviously planning a shot. Right. And... I swear you guys, that if you'd gone up to him and aimed a punch, there would be a force field that would have hit your hand <laughs> about six inches. I learned so much. I, watching him, it taught me about concentration. Mm. And it helped me, helped me throughout any acting I've been doing. And that's down to Stanley Kubrick. And I've never wow. seen that so much in any person. That's, that's, that's so gracious of you to have that... Uh perspective and, and to share that with us really i mean a, a, anything else you want to uh share or expound upon that how, how did that affect or you know uh the, the way you say it you know permanently impacted your craft of acting to to paraphrase anything you want to share please do. yeah well it helped me when i was starting to direct shows musicals mm -hmm. and things to have that concentration and also mm -hmm. when i was playing a part and I was playing, I was playing Tevye in Fiddler in a local show. And uh, you've got the right. scene where the girl's going up to Siberia. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I just sat on a stool there while she was singing her song, etc. And somebody came up to me and said, I didn't, you, I just watched you. I didn't even watch the girl. I watched you because you were just so absolutely still. I didn't think anybody could do that on a stage for that long. Wow. And so down to Kubrick. That was down to Stanley. Wow. Wow. So even while you're acting, when you're acting in Fiddler on the Roof, you're, you're you're thinking of him or 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 implementing some tool that you it seems like you feel uh, you'd gained by observing him absolutely that's extraordinary insight um we love learning about this stuff you folks are wonderful uh to to answer these and and again to expound uh, this is going beyond uh, my expectations, and I'm loving every moment. I hope uh, we're not boring you yet. You cannot be serious. <laughs> <laughs> I am serious, Tony, and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> okay, brilliant, brilliant. Um, gosh, what did, what did your neighbors think? Uh, while this was filming, I mean, they had to have been aware that there was a film crew going on. Did they know that it was Stanley Kubrick? And did you have a relationship with your neighbors where you got some feedback on what they must have been thinking? Well, they saw more of it almost than we did because they were next door. And at one stage, I think it was when... um... Um, No, it's Lars. I'm sorry, I'm on. Hold on, guys. Hold on. Don't don't worry, don't worry. Okay. Uh, sorry. Okay. No, no worries I'll at all. Over and I'll, I'll take on. Right. We're um. Please tell Tony not to worry. Yeah. Um. Where were, where were we? Should we start? Do you want me to start again on that? If you'd like, I was just asking about what your neighbors must have been thinking oh, when. Yeah. yeah. Well, Richard and Molly Myers, who live next door, and they saw more of the filming probably than we did and one day when uh, Malcolm McDowell was um, very very cold and wet I can't remember what it was what it was from they they did some scenes down in the garden where mm-hmm. they got him very very wet for one of mm. the scenes and um, he came into their house and had a shower mm. <laughs> um, afterwards, because I don't think you could get into our bathroom because it was so full of right stuff and furniture and all the rest of it, stuff that had been moved out of the living area. Right, right. The ghastly, horrible police. They beat me up, sir. The police beat me up, sir. I know you. Isn't it your picture in the newspapers? Didn't I see you on the video this morning? Are you not the poor victim of this horrible new technique? Yes, sir. That's exactly who I am and what I am, sir. A victim, sir. And by God, you've been sent here by Providence. Tortured in prison, then thrown out to be tortured by the police. My heart goes out to you, poor, poor boy. Well, you are not the first to come here in distress. The police are fond of bringing their victims to the outskirts of this village. But it is providential that you, who are also another kind of victim, should come here. 
Gorbachev, cold and shivering. Julian, draw a bath for this young man. Certainly, Frank. Thank you very much, sir. God bless you, sir. Your, your neighbors took pity on poor young Malcolm and gave him a hot shower. <laughs> and and uh, they were they were very. It was all very friendly. And of course, the neighbors. Uh, some of them got fed up because the road was all um, blocked mm. up a lot with all their vans and things. Um, you, you might like to hear another anecdote. When the com the company was supposed to move in and they didn't and they didn't, I think it was because Alex got his um, uh, his eyes infected. Um, I'm saying. What Alex. do you recall? What do you I mean, recall I mean, about I mean, that? Malcolm, Malcolm, Malcolm uh, of course. When, when, they, when they clipped them back, right. he got infection in his eyes. And also one of, the, one of the scenes where he got soaked again, he got flu. And we were stuck in this hotel. Well, it was lovely as far as I was concerned. Mm -hmm. I mean, no housework, <laughs> absolutely beautiful food. Right, right. Living, living the lady, the sort of lady like a film star life. I was yeah, thinking. yeah. It was great. But... Um, Anyhow, when that happened, when eventually I went along one day after I dropped the kids off at school and I went to see Amos, the dog, and mm -hmm. Amos was in the road in front of the nosh wagon and the, they had put a big Edam cheese outside <laughs> on the ground and there oh, was Amos gosh. with his mouth like Dracula. I thought I was in the wrong film with all this red from the Edam cheese all round his um, long teeth that they have, the canines, isn't it? Uh -huh, uh -huh. He was talking to me. He was going, he was so excited. He was trying desperately to tell me what was going on while we weren't there. Um, He's saying, I, I never told you that Edam was my favorite cheese in the world. No. Had I didn't I told you, know he liked cheese. Yeah, well, <laughs> had he been able to express that prior, you know, he might have been able to get his canines on some good Edam cheese uh, <laughs> many years prior. But, hey, whenever the discovery comes your way, right, I suppose we have to go with it. Thank I you. I used to have lunch there every day, too, while, you know, while they were filming. So mm -hmm. I'd go along and... Uh, well, it saved them money from paying for my lunch in the hotel, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and wait, I mean, and yet, you know, uh, richly deserved uh, treatment to be uh, put up in a lavish hotel like that. While, well, that uh, was actually because at first of all, we were we were going to be put up at a nice hotel, but it wasn't nearly as nice as the one we ended up in. Hmm. And then they changed their minds, and I was really disappointed because. Uh, they said they weren't going to use our house. I think they were going to use the other one that I think was, maybe it was the frontage of the house. Okay. Um, uh, anyway, they did, they, the one that one that they finally changed their minds about and came back to ours. By this time, the, the one in the town of St. Albans was um, booked up. Mm. So they suggested <coughs> this other one. And it all worked out quite beautifully because that this was a much this was a five star hotel mm. and it was quite beautiful. And um, my kids paid for me to have my 80th birthday there. 
a few, oh. few years ago. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's so cool. That's that's <laughs> wonderful. Uh, I couldn't wow. think what they kept saying. You're you're going away, but it's not very far, and oh, you, don't no. to, you, know, you don't have to pack a lot. Just you know, a party dress and a. Uh, <laughs> For me, as a, a lifelong fan of Kubrick's and someone who's been reading about him for only too many years, I always love to find anything that dispels the uh, notion of, of Kubrick as the misanthrope, uh, the, you know, the hermit and the, um, you know, just a, an ungracious man, because to hear a story like yours of being put up in the hotel, suffice it to say, there are only too many other directors who wouldn't bother uh, to accommodate to say, right, you know, here's a check. And, uh, it, you know, you check in at this hotel, we've set you up. Um, but not Stanley. He, he, he had to use your house and therefore uh, Stanley, the gentleman, had to provide you with, you know, the best accommodations. And uh, it's just great. When I first met him, if I may interrupt you. Please, um, please. When I first heard about the film, I went to answer the phone and... Someone said, oh, Stanley Kubrick, secretary speaking, and I thought, I've been discovered. This is my big chance. I mean, mm. I've been working in, as you, as you said before, in television and yeah. little bits, but nothing very much. Right. And uh, so this sounded wonderful, a Hollywood producer, mm-hmm. uh, a Hollywood director. Mm-hmm. And then I suddenly realized that she wasn't asking for me. She was asking for the house. But it's the kind of place. So, <laughs> so when Stanley came that day that Tony told you about, mm. um, when I got back with the kids and, um, you know, we discussed about what was happening, I told him this story and he laughed and he said, well, we need lots of girls in the, in the film. So I'll <laughs> find you something. And when he, when came along and it was going to be this girl who – uh, was the nurse who did the injection. Because in, in the book, the nurse does the injection, and she has a lovely uh, dialogue scene with Alex flirting with her. Oh. And um, I thought, oh, this is great. This is great. Right, right. However, um, by the time it came to doing it, it was that they were using the doctor. They were establishing the doctor. And um, all I had to do was walk behind the doctor and do the injection. And that sounded as if it would be over and done with in about five minutes, but not with Stanley, because he had to have my hands and the light from the windows in a certain Mm. position. Mm -hmm. And everything had to be just so. And he kept saying, oh, no, no, the light's gone and we'll do something else. And then he'd come back to it. And then he said, no, it's too late. And I actually spent a lot of the time that I was there. It was at Brunel University. Morning, Charlie. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning, Alex. My name is Dr. Branham. I'm Dr. Brodsky's assistant. Good morning, Mrs. Lovely day, isn't it? Yes, indeed it is. May I take that? How are you feeling this morning? Fine, fine. Good. Now, in a few minutes, you'll meet Dr. Brodsky and we'll begin your treatment. You're a very lucky boy to have been chosen. I realise that, Mrs., and I'm very grateful to all concerned. We're going to be friends then, aren't we, Alex? I hope so, Mrs. 
What's the IPO for then? Can I send me to sleep? Oh no, nothing of the sort. Vitamins will it be then? Something like that. You're a little undernourished, so after each meal we're going to give you a shot. Roll over on your right side, please. Loosen your pajama pants and pull them halfway down. Uh, when you were at uh, Brunel University filming your scenes for the Ludovico Medical Facility, do you recall uh, filming anything that did not make the final cut of the film? Um, I think there was a bit, yes. I, I, I think maybe there were cuts in the scene. Um, but as I say, I, quite a bit of the time, I was with this very attractive Australian doctor. You don't know who he was, do you? He mm. was, I mean, I suppose he was, uh, he was probably a little younger than me. I mean, I must have been in my what, 70, what, 30, 30 something. Um, okay. And uh, learning how to do an injection. Right. And learning, you know, playing around with my hands and all the mm -hmm. rest of it. And then we'd be called in again. And uh, so I didn't even see all of that scene being shot. I saw most of it. And I was my sort of bottom half of my trunk was in it as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that scene I, is... So I, I don't really know what was... I can't remember what was cut. I mean, um, you, you must remember that we didn't know it was... I knew that he was a famous director, but I went into the business expecting that I wouldn't become, I never thought I would become a star or anything like that, mm. but I thought I would become a, maybe an actress who was, whose name became a bit known on television and things like that. Certainly. And maybe occasionally got, you know, part, got parts in the West End. I always wanted to do theatre, wanted to do yeah. Shakespeare. Oh. Um so I accepted, when I got parts, I accepted that that was what I did. Well, uh, and I still, to some extent, do that. Uh, if I get a little part, this is, this is acting, this is what I do. I mean, I've done it for so long. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, so it's... It, it's... It, it doesn't seem that, that special. Whether, whether it's a tiny, it doesn't really make that much difference if you're doing it. If you're doing it with Stanley Kubrick or if you're doing it with um, some person you nobody's ever heard of or, or ever will. That yeah, yeah. Uh, you're just well, doing, you, you pursued, doing your job. Yeah, I mean, and you did pursue your, you, you earned your job uh, through dedication and perseverance. And in doing so, it's, you know, easy to say that you got to live you've gotten to live the dream, right? I mean, being a working actor or actress is yeah. every actor's dream. And, um, you know, I, I, I think you certainly achieved that. I find it fascinating that you... There are uh, 42,000 42, members of British Actors' Equity at the moment, mm -hmm. and that's just the people that have joined Equity, which in right. England is no longer compulsory. Right, right. Wow. 42,000, so, yeah. Out of in, which 41,000 are probably not working at any one moment. Yeah, <laughs> as is often the case. Crazy. But, Crazy. but you've gotten to say that, that, that you have and you, and you continue to. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I will come back to uh, uh, that later and ask you about uh, 
your latest project so long as we are not keeping you too long yeah, and, that's and fine. feel that's free fine. yeah but uh um that's just uh uh fascinating to me that you would be so grounded when you were just starting out and have a very realistic approach to what you wanted to get out of your passion for the craft. Um, I was, I was and, very nervous and I was especially nervous because I felt as if I couldn't get it right for him. Mm. And I was worried. And, um, um, because, I suppose in a way I felt more confident because I knew he was using our house and he needed, he needed me. Right, right, right. <laughs> that, that may have, may have added to it, but I really, truly don't remember that. I, I really don't remember that. Well, that's, that's another exclusive for our listeners. Uh, <laughs> Shirley Jaffe is one of very few people who can say they had something over Stanley. <laughs> And that's wonderful of you to share that with us. There's Shirley. something else you might be interested in. I, uh, when I went to, I went to his house. His house was in Elstree, which is mm -hmm. I think next village to Radlett, mm -hmm. and um, where we lived, where we lived originally. And um, he he had something in his garden. I can't remember if it was um, an outhouse or something where he had. Uh, buildings that he was using for making the film, mm -hmm. uh, including a place where I went for wardrobe to try on the uniform. That and that was Ab Abbott's Mead, if I'm not mistaken. Was that Abbott's Mead? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. And Sorry to interrupt. It's a lovely road with beautiful mm. properties in. I mean, mm. one of the houses uh, very close to London. Um, mm -hmm. um, and I had a, this white. Um, American nurse's uniform and they were trying to imagine what it would be like in um, 2000 um, I can't remember the date that he said but I, I think it was just before 2000 mm. planning the, fil the film's date was interesting and um, I asked about it and oh, it was the makeup that's right so when I went and I put the um, put the uniform on and then did the makeup and the makeup was very light mm -hmm. very little lipstick and things and he right. thought that in the future the older women would wear a lot more makeup than the younger women and <laughs> I think there was a stage where that actually happened at least in England mm. um, and the older women went on wearing more or less what they'd worn before and I probably still wear heavier makeup than um say my daughters can my daughter never has worn much uh, mm. um, and it does vary much more than it used to in my day everybody wore makeup yeah yeah of uh, course and this was one of the things that he believed would happen and i think to some extent he was right mm -hmm. um certainly so wouldn't be the first involved, time you see in that sort of you said about that sort of detail right uh, right that he he took, I think he came and took they took stills on that day. Uh, it certainly wouldn't be the first time that he accurately predicted uh, trends in the future. Yeah, I never met uh, Burgess, the the person who wrote Clockwork Orange. That would Anthony be Burgess. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Well, Stanley, of course, was known very well for never bending to the pressures of time and money while he was filming. And he Fine. was known, he was known, in fact, to take his own sweet time while he was filming, which yeah. begs the question, you know, how many days were you on the set at Brunel? Three. Three days. Yeah. You, that was a very matter-of-fact answer, Shirley. Thank you. Well, it was amazing. Clear, clear it was as great well. as far as I was concerned, because, you, know, um, you know, we needed the money. It was really yeah, good. sure, yeah. sure. Uh, I was thinking about it since I've been in touch with you about this, and I was thinking what a shame that we never, um, we didn't ever try to keep up. Mm. Uh, the acquaintanceship. I mean, maybe I could have been in other films um, with yeah. maybe a little bit more to do. But right. um, I think that they were a bit fed up with us because we, in the end, cost them a lot of money. They were keeping <laughs> family, a family of four in a five-star hotel. Right, right. Uh, and then they they read they redid all our um, all our lovely Junkers floors which I must say were never quite the same again as don't forget the house was newish mm. when when they moved into it and they did bash it around a bit with camera yeah. dollies and things like that. Of course. And then they decorated it all. And um, I think we were, I think they, they were, feeling that we maybe had taken advantage and we felt that they had. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's okay. I mean, these yeah. things go hand in hand. Yeah. It's, it's, it's rather like a bit of the yin to the yang, if you will. I mean, like he's, he needed you and uh, you were only too happy to uh, work for him knowing he was already uh, a very esteemed uh, filmmaker at the time. Sure. Um, I mean, I knew, I knew that that was, very prestigious to get a yes. job. Yes. 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 <clears throat> and then I well, was very fortunate in the sense that because the film wasn't shown, I could talk about being in the film, uh, and people didn't know that I'd had such a tiny part <laughs> because <laughs> they hadn't seen the film. Well, I, I did a bit of acting when I was a kid, and I remember them saying there are no small uh, tiny parts only tiny actors or uh, yeah, small yeah. parts um, that's it small uh, yeah parts small parts only only small um wonderful uh with regards to your shooting uh at brunel uh can you share with us um well first did you discuss the scene at all with kubrick before your actual shoot date and the second part of the question is, uh, can you tell us about uh, how the shooting of your scene went in terms of uh, you working with Stanley? Um, well, as I say, I, I was by this time a very minor character in it. The, the lady who played the doctor, whose name escapes me at the moment, um, we talked about what was going to happen and she was extremely nervous because uh, Stanley insisted that she actually gave an injection. She mm. also practiced with this doctor and an orange. You, you, you <laughs> I have heard that story, yeah. 
You have heard this before, yes. Uh, and that, that nurses practice, yes, with hypodermic needles on oranges. Yeah, well, that's what she was doing. And uh, I've never really been able to, what's the word, separate the two in my mind as if that was why it was called the Clockwork Orange. Right, right. <laughs> Um, anyway, she uh, she was extremely nervous, and she said to me that she hated giving giving pain, giving distress. Right. And it must the extraordinary coincidence was that before I did this film, I did a documentary about um, people who had TB, uh, tuberculosis. Yes, yes. And because I played this character who hadn't taken her pills. I was given an injection in my behind. Oh, goodness. In this film. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the director phoned me up and, and told me about it and, I, and said, is that all right? And I said, well, I don't have to have a real injection, do I? And she said, oh, no, 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 no. Anyway, when we came to do it, and mm. I jumped because the nurse pricked me with a needle. Oh, gosh. And the, the uh, director said to me, it was a lady director, said, um, I think you overdid the reaction. I said, well, I wasn't expecting her to actually stick the needle in. You're so right. when it came to, we were doing it with, um, <laughs> with, with uh, Alex, it was, I don't know who was more nervous about it, me right. knowing what it was going to be like, or... Poor, poor um, Malcolm. Malcolm, or yeah. Or the lady playing the doctor. And it, I mean, it just went on for a whole three days. They were filming wow. in this room, in this little small student's room. I mean, it was very small. The, because, because he takes so long to set things up, the light is changing all the time. And he's trying to get particular effects. I mean, I do think he's the most wonderful craftsman in terms of how the, the camera work and so on. I think absolutely brilliant. don't remember him saying much to me except put your hands like this more. Mm -hmm. like uh-huh. Uh, and then, no, I'm sorry, no, it's no good. You'll have to come, come back tomorrow. Right. Because the light wasn't right, yeah. Fascinating. I, I, I believe um, that uh, the female doctor you're referring to, uh, Doctor, the character Dr. Branham, was played by the actress uh, Madge Ryan. Does Madge, that sound correct? Madge, yes, that was right. Yes, I'm very bad at remembering names now. No, 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 cool. I, I'm yes. happy to help. No, she In was fact, a lovely yeah. lady, yeah. Um, well, I, I want to skip ahead just to January 1972, which, of course, uh, saw the, the premiere of A Clockwork oh, right. Orange in the yeah. UK. Um, were you there? Were you able to attend the premiere? We were not invited. Oh. And I was interviewed by the local paper. And um, the good thing about not being invited was I actually um, had a, a witty quote, I believe, because they <laughs> said... Um, they said, we thought you'd have the best seats in the house. And I said, no, but we've got the best house in the film. Uh, that's <laughs> and that, that, was in the, that was in the local paper. No, we weren't invited. And we, I don't know why we didn't try and go. Uh, probably babysitters or something. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah. 
Ah, Tony, are you back with us, good man? Yeah, I, I, I'm back, yes. Wonderful. Um, I completely understand if I drove you away for that length of time. I would leave me by the wayside, too, <laughs> if I could. No, I was, um, talking, I was talking with a, with an ancient cousin who is not particularly well and needs cheering up. And I was talking Aww. all about what we've just been talking about to cheer him up. <laughs> oh, did it did it work? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, now, of course, you know, in 72, uh, I have to touch back on this now. When the, when the film was released in England, uh, there was, of course, no small measure of uh, controversy surrounding the film on its initial release. There was a lot of controversy. Um, were you aware of any of that at the time? Oh, yes. I mean, yeah. it, was a, it was a national thing. Mm. Um, people were, Tell were us talking, about that. Well, people were talking to us, uh, not just family and friends. No, I had, I had people saying to me, um, how could you let your house be used for such a violent film? Mm, mm. And didn't you? Didn't it sort of put you off the house? Um, but I suppose the thing is that if you're an actress, you accept fiction and and have a very strong. You right. really have to have a very strong sense of what is real and what is not. Otherwise, you could go mad. I think precisely. A lot of, yeah, a lot of actors who get um, mental trouble is because they cannot separate fact and yeah. fiction. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I found that I, I would never go to see, um, say, a horror movie. And I would never have gone to see The Clockwork Orange if I hadn't been in it. Right. Um, but after I'd been in a Dracula film, they just make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that's a testament to your uh, uh, courage, uh, I think, is a, an acceptable term uh, in your acting and your approach to the craft. Yes. That you are you are able to make that distinction. Incidentally, uh, there's something you may or may not know. Did you know that the girl who was playing Adrian Corey's part originally um, gave up after a day or was thrown out after a day? She, she became hysteric. Oh she my became goodness. hysterical. Yeah. D tell us a bit about that. That what what that is all I know. Uh, wow. All I know is that she'd had the push, and the next day Adrian Corey was called. Wow. Who was wow. of course thrilled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what her name was. I don't know whether she ever ever acted again, or mm. I presume that they paid her off. Um, I, I mean, it must have been devastating for her because to have a, a leading part in yeah. a Stanley Kubrick movie and to be so frightened or upset or hurt by what happened I nothing was ever nothing more was ever talked about it right I and do to be, hope yeah that she, she got a lot of compensation and that she um felt okay about it afterwards yeah that's that's got a sting to be summarily uh removed from any project, let alone one that would go on to become as uh, iconic and influential as Clockwork Orange. Well, mm -hmm. we hope she we hope she ended up okay, to yeah. say the least. Mm -hmm. um, uh, now, you know, the, the during the the 
the, the film had been in release for about 15 months before Stanley himself pulled it from distribution. As a sidebar, I just want to ask, because you'd mentioned uh, the number of people who'd asked you, why would you allow your house to be used? Did you have any uh, unwanted visitors or graffiti or anybody, you know, kind of like protest at Radlett House? Anything well, that caused no. you and Tony trouble? No, we had, we actually, Kubrick rang up and asked and was concerned that he'd heard rumors that there were people coming around to the house when they found what it was. And that was one of the factors um, in him giving in up, him giving up the, uh, stopping the film. I Are you kidding me? No, I, I think it was definitely one of them yeah, because wow. of the copy, copycat stuff. Yeah, we, had, yeah. we had sort of like gangs of boys in <sighs> trucks, didn't yeah. we, on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. And they'd say, is this the clockwork orange house? And we say, no, 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 it's the other side of Radlett. Oh, my god! And try and send them on a wild goose chase to get rid of them. Oh, and my god! I was never frightened. No, we were not frightened, but he, he was more concerned. And yeah. And it could have it could have got nasty. Wow, that's a revelation. I mean, the, 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 it's the fact that uh, you know no one was harmed, and you folks never really felt uh, that your safety was in jeopardy is great to know. But it had to be a little disconcerting uh, at that time when you didn't know, and then to receive uh, a call from Stanley to ask you about it personally and your belief it, it may have been an integral part in his uh decision to pull the film I, I just find that extraordinary mm. yeah but you see at the time or uh, we didn't even think about it because you've been involved in the film surely mm -hmm. mostly obviously and me with the house side you, you, it didn't occur just saw the film being made and we'd obviously seen the film we didn't realize the impact that was being made Right. Through. <clears throat> it's odd because, I mean, a slight diversion. Um, I run a theatre during the Brighton Fringe. And mm -hmm. last year, or was the year before, we did a screening <clears throat> of the Clockwork Orange. And we said that afterwards, Shirley and I would go down on stage and talk about it to the audience. And when we started the film, as you know, it's, it starts in silence. Mm -hmm. Well, you had a whole audience of people. And I heard murmurs saying, sound's broken. Well, what's happened to the sound? Why is there no sound? They didn't know. They'd not seen the film. And the impact was enormous when it when it's suddenly built up. Still had that effect, even though people knew about the Clockwork Orange. The effect was it was, was fantastic. Wow. That's that's a couple of years ago. What, what a great story. Please, please don't let me uh, go on. A anything that comes to mind, anything you want to share, because this is all rather revelatory. I'm loving it. And I hope our, I believe our listeners absolutely will as well. So share any any other little anecdotes that come to mind. Did, has she told you uh, when I was out of the room about the dog with the red mouth? Yes. Oh, you have. Yes. Right. Loved it. You missed the best part of our call, Tony. I'm sorry. <laughs> It was all about Amos, and oh. this, this 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 podcast will be uh, dedicated to uh, dedicated Amos. to Amos <laughs> to, oh. to Amos to Amos and your cousin Tony. 
<laughs> Can we ask his name? Yeah, he was, name's Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis. Well, Ray Lewis. I, I would uh, I would like to dedicate this episode of Kubrick's Universe to Ray Lewis, and thank him for uh, allowing us to uh, help cheer him up a bit today. <laughs> well, thank him for allowing to, Shirley to say a few words. <laughs> oh, before, Shirley, you, you can't be serious. Before he re- oh, he's off again then. No, I am serious. <laughs> And don't keep calling me, Shirley, please. Uh, I, I, I'm going to cut this interview short otherwise. Oh, no, I no, 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 sir. Please, please. I'm dreadfully sorry. I apologize terribly. I won't let it happen again. I don't believe in Americans apologizing. I've heard Trump. Um, the, um, um, yes, no, please, no. But my cousin Ray was, in fact, the European managing director of Lorimar. Oh, no kidding. You know, kidding, before he retired. He was heavily involved in the in the film business. Yes, he was. I know this one more thing we ought to tell you about the house and Clockwork Orange. We mm-hmm. spent the money that they paid us for the hire of the house on giving the house a present and we built a swimming pool in the house. And that no was kidding. wonderful for our kids. Sure. Um, having because it's not usual in England to have a swimming pool in your garden. Right, I mean, right. Maybe, maybe in Radlett, which was a nice suburb, there might have been two or three mm-hmm. in the whole area. Um, and we had a lot of fun out of it while we stayed in the house. Wow. Um, that's, that's, cool. that's really cool. When, so... It was very cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and cool to jump into, right, on a... <laughs> On a warm summer day, how how long did Radlett House uh, stay with you, folks? What ha- what's the? Uh... We moved out in I think it was seventy eight or nine. Yeah, uh, okay. and we went we went further out of out of London um, to a very old house instead, oh. and then eventually we moved down to Dorset, which really put the kibosh on my acting career because there was just <laughs> nothing going on mostly except I got that amazing job uh bring, bring us right back in full circle uh the, the amazing job with Michael Jackson yeah and that was just I'd left some pictures at an agent's um thinking that they were going to um that they did some casting for uh, emergency ward 10 which was a a soap opera mm-hmm. um, once once a week, uh, uh, it, which is still running. Um, and this chap did a lot of the casting for that. And I thought, well, I played lots of nurses. Maybe there will be a job in that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to get to that. And that's going to be more or less my last uh, formal question. My penultimate question, uh, since you brought up the house again, I just have to ask if uh, either of you were present when uh, the conversation between Stanley and Malcolm took place regarding uh, the notion to use uh, the song Singing in the Rain for the film. No. 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 That's okay. We could expect not. I mean, uh, but that's, that's always something people are 
curious to know about uh, the origins of how that came about. Yes. I mean, if and you want course, me to make up a story and make it up, I'll do it for you. <laughs> yes, I do. I do. Of course yeah, I, I was do. standing there in the kitchen and I overheard, but right, voices right. were raised slightly and, oh, come on. <laughs> go on, go on, go on. Well, our floor, our floor would have been wonderful if you'd got him to tap dance. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I seem to remember reading about that. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Fascinating. And, uh, and, and and Malcolm said, I, I, I can tap and, and, tap. and sing. And and, uh, and he started out singing in the red. And then Kubrick said, shut up. And, right, right. And there was the, a fight, you know. And of course. Talk, talking of the floors, the one thing that I haven't mentioned is that um, we were in the house when they were doing uh, the scene where where he comes back and mm -hmm. he's lifted down the stairs where Alex comes back and he's lifted down the stairs in, in the, um, in the author's house. And uh, they didn't, they didn't carry a stand in as far as I know for Malcolm. And uh, so they used me as a stand in with Dave Prowse carrying me right. down the stairs. Frank, I think this young man needs some help. My God, what's happened to you, my boy? Can you tell me one thing? And I think then we're going to have to stop because I realize I'm, I'm actually, I've got to go for an audition for tomorrow. And oh, lovely. Means I've got to travel to London, so I don't want to be too late going to bed. Um, can you, why did, Kubrick come to to England was it McCarthyism or? I want Stephen to answer. I, I I can offer the Americans' perspective, but Stephen, hello, are you there, lad? I'm here. Why why did why did uh, Stanley Kubrick come to England? I was just thinking about it today when I was going through the question. Yeah, well, I think there's a few a few reasons why he did it. He, he had a bad experience in. Uh, 1960 working on uh, Spartacus which was oh. which was really the first the first and only film he's made as a director for hire uh, Kirk, yeah. Kirk Douglas hired him and he had a terrible time on that um, with Kirk Douglas basically trying to tell him how to direct so it re really? yeah so it, re it really put him off the uh, the Hollywood uh, power game um, yeah and then when he had a chance to make his next film, which was Lolita, uh, he realised that uh, we had a, a system in England to help movies uh, called, I think it was called The, the Edie Plan. Um, mm -hmm. So that worked well in his favour. And also it was kind of, he was very worried about the um, nuclear threat as well at the time. And he thought England's uh, a little What's bit... What's new? <laughs> yeah, and he thought England was uh, less likely to get um, blown up by the Russians as America was. So I think it was a, it was a mix of all three. He wanted to get away from from the Hollywood system and become independent. He wanted to take advantage of the uh, the great studios and technicians in in England. Um, and yeah, so that was gen that was generally why he moved from America um, at that point in the, in the late sixties. Ah, oh, I see. Okay. But I think he got his revenge on Kirk Douglas because he left him hanging at the end of Spartacus. <laughs> <laughs> he sure did. Yes, he did.
Well, there you have it. Yet another road leading us back once again to Stanley. As we celebrate the 50th anniversary of Clockwork Orange, we are working to bring you a few more interviews soon. So stay tuned, droogies and devotchkas. This episode was produced by Stephen Rigg. Be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you cast your pods. And feel free to join the world's greatest online community for Kubrick discussion at the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society on FB. I'm your host, Jason Furlong, saying thanks for being with us once again. We'll catch you on the flip side of the record. Bedways is rightways now. I'm singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling, I'm happy again. I'm laughing at clouds so dark up above. The sun's in my heart and I'm ready for love. Let the stormy clouds chase everyone from the place. Come on with the rain, I have a smile on my face. I walk down the lane with a happy refrain, just singing. Singing in the rain Dancing in the rain I'm happy again I'm singing and dancing in It's Kubrick's universe. We just live in it. We have taken very thorough precautions in this podcast against broadcasting anything which might only be attributed to human error. These guys aren't scientists. They're making it up as they go along. Thank you for listening to the Stanley Kubrick Podcast. Come back soon. 
real nice talking to you. Bye. Over and out. This show comes to you from the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society.